Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. The Tree of Strife, dramatized by David Wade from the Icelandic saga The Burning of Njál. With Bernard Hepton as Njál, Robert Glenister as Skarp Yadin, and Norman Rodway and Barbara Jefford as the narrators. Part 3. The Burning. Gunnar was dead and buried, sitting upright in the mound his kinsfolk raised for him at Clidorendi. And in the days that followed, it is said, a shepherd and a housemaid courting heard him, as it were, in high good humour, chanting verses in the mound. They brought the news to Njal, who spoke of it to Skarpjadin. He took his axe and rode to Clidorendi, which now belonged to Herkney Gunnarsson. That night, under a bright but fitful moon, as they were standing to the south of Gunnar's grave, it seemed to them that the mound was open and that Gunnar had turned round to face the moon. They saw four lights within the burial chamber where Gunnar sat, his face exultant. And they seemed to hear a voice that rang out over Fljotschlith. Hergni's generous father... Rich in daring exploits, who so lavishly gave battle, distributing wounds gladly, claims that in his helmet, towering like an oak tree in the forest of battle, he would rather die than yield. Much rather die than yield. Roused by this vision, Hercney ran home, took down Gunnar's ringing halberd, and the pair of them rode northward to three Hernink. There Skarpjedin climbed up onto the roof and started plucking at the turf. Starketh Barkerson and Thorgea, his son, thought it was the sheep and ran out into the yard. They were not destined to return into the house. And yet, with Njal's assistance, a lasting settlement was reached with the people of three Hernink for both these deaths. The tree of strife, it seemed, had ceased to grow. The seasons and the years went by. At last, five years since they had gone abroad, four years since Gunnar's death, Green Jalsson and his brother Helgi sailed home from Norway, home to Bergthorskvoll. With them they brought a tall, fine-looking man with a resplendent head of hair. He wore a rich silk tunic and carried sword and spear inlaid with gold. They introduced him as a trusted and incomparable friend, Kauri Salmundason, the Hebridean. Kauri, you are more than welcome here. Thank you, sir. I am honoured to meet one who bears so great a name. Let me present you to my wife, Bergthora. Lady... Sir, I share my husband's welcome. And this is my eldest son, Skarpjedin. Ah, I have heard of you. Your brothers swear you are the greatest warrior in Iceland, but prefer to keep it to yourself. There are some who would question my reticence, <laughs> if they were alive to do so. 
Ask them at three here, Nink. Aye. <laughs> oh, yes, at heart I am a home lover. But, Father, <laughs> Mother, we had better tell you so that you know the sort of man that Cowrie is. But for him, Green and I would both be dead. Come now, Helgi, it was no great matter. Oh, but it was. Not only had the Hebrideans saved the brothers from a Viking fleet, but from the vengeance of the great Norwegian Earl, Haukon. The pair had fallen in with Trowin Sigvason. He who was both Gunnar's uncle and Halget's son-in-law. And Trowin, for good reason, had incurred the Earl's ungovernable wrath. He slipped away to sea and home, contriving first to shift the blame onto his countrymen. Only Cowrie's intercession earned them a reprieve. There would be no reprieve for Thrawin. At the onset of the winter, the three Njalsons accompanied by Kauri, who by now had married Helga, Njal's daughter, and was a member of the family. These four fell on him and his companions at the Markar River. With blood to water it, the tree of strife shook gently in the wind that blew across the land isles, and its branches crackled with the voice of flames. Njal heard and set about to counter it. He summoned his three sons. Uh, let us sit down. Now then, Ketil of Merk was here while you were in the fields. He has persuaded Thrain's brothers to accept a settlement, and I have paid out the amount in full. There is peace between us and the Sigvosens. If only for the moment. Don't worry, Father. We shall keep the settlement as long as they do. Oh, I don't dispute that. Is that all, Father? I think there must be something else. There is, and I am coming to it. Throwin, as I'm sure you know, has left a son. He's rising 16 years of age. His name is Herskuld. Now, Ketil has been speaking to his mother, Thorgerd, and she has agreed that he is to adopt the boy. Herskuld Throwinson now lives at Merck. Oh, I see. And your son-in-law will work to reconcile him to the Nielsens, is that it? <laughs> oh, Father, you're a subtle one. Oh, you have not heard the end. It is not Ketil who will work for reconciliation. It is I. It is you. We do not understand you. The boy is legally in Ketil's care. In a little while, I shall approach Ketil and suggest I foster him. Will Ketil agree? <laughs> he already has. Oh, now I do see. Ketil agrees to what the boy's own mother never would. Just so. Heskuld will come here to live. The son of the man you have killed will become one of our family. And never think of seeking vengeance. <laughs> now there is subtlety. Real subtlety. Does Heskuld know what happened to his father? I asked him that. And? He knows you killed him, Skarpiedin. He said there was no need to bring the matter up again, since compensation had been paid. His answer was better than my question, and I foresee that he will grow up a good man. Unlike his father? Quite unlike. Unlike that witch's grandmother as well, I hope. As unlike as it is possible to be. So, do I have your backing, all of you? Skarpiedin? <laughs> my dear father, how could I refuse? Grim? With all my heart. Helgi? Helgi? You have it, yes. But? I seem to have your gift of prescience. So Herskel, son of Thrawin, 
came to live at Bergthorskvoll. Njal quickly learned to love him dearly, as did his foster brothers, who gladly took him with them wherever they went. A man called Flossie Thordeson lived at Svinefell, a long way east of the Rang River Plains, at the foot of the great Vardner Glacier. Now Flossie had a niece called Hildegun, a woman of great beauty and of spirit. At Bergthorskvoll, the thought of finding a good wife for his new foster son had recently begun to occupy Njal's mind. Accordingly, with Herskuld and his kin, with Kauri and the Njalsons, he set out for Svinafell. Well, Hildigun, that is Njal Thorgerson's proposal, and I consider it a good one. Tell me your opinion. Well, Uncle, I shall say this for a start. I have my pride. And what does that mean, pray? It means first that I'm not sure that the proposal suits me, considering the kind of people involved. What kind of people are involved, in your opinion? Skarpjedin, leave this to me. Hildegard? No, I will answer your son. Sir, you and your brothers, and you Sigvusons, Karis Ormondarsen, I know nothing of you, good or bad. But for the rest, your reputation is that you are violent and unruly men. <laughs> <coughs> Lady, nobody has ever said that of my foster son. That is true, Hildigun. We have heard nothing but good spoken of her school Thrawinson. I don't deny that. At the same time, he is a man without authority. And, Uncle, you promised me that you would never marry me to a man below the rank of chieftain. <laughs> That's true. Well, if you don't want to marry the man, that's reason good enough and we shall refuse the offer. I'm not saying I don't want to marry her, Skuld. I will do so gladly, just so long as they provide him with a chieftaincy. <laughs> but otherwise, I will not consider it. So Njal applied himself with craft and did it all to such effect that her Skuld Thrawinson became a chieftain. In the second summer after that first ride to Svinafell, the young man, known now as Herskeld Huitenes Priest, Married Hildigun. The couple lived a year at Bergthorskvoll, till Njal bought them a property at Ossabair, just west of the Markar River. Both families remained on terms of perfect friendship, and so it went on for a long time. It was the year 1000 since the birth of Christ. In Norway, Earl Haukon had been murdered, and Olaf Tryggvason was king. He threw off the old faith. He, St. Olaf that would be, sent Thankbrandt, son of the Count of Saxony, to convert the Icelanders. Njal and his whole household embraced the new faith eagerly. When Skarpjadin was told that Michael was God's warrior, he instantly adopted the archangel as his guardian. And yet the old faith held, and it was only after months of bitter argument that at the Althing there was an agreement. On that day, the whole of Iceland became Christian. The saga now returns to Merv of Hof. About this time, his father, Valgat the Grey, he who all those years ago had married Un in consideration of the double dowry reclaimed for her by Gunnar, her cousin. Valgart, now an old man, returned to Iceland after spending many years abroad. So, you have taken the new faith after all. 
I heard you'd held out against it. I did until it was proclaimed at the Alfink. You ought to have held out. Look at this. Crosses and such nonsense everywhere. I hate the strike of it. Don't do that! That's the cross of Christ you've broken. And did he strike me dead for it? Ah, some powerful god, I must say. Father, you would do well to take the new faith. Never. You're an old man now. An old I, too old to abandon the old gods. Besides, what has your Christ done for you? Well, Listen to me. Since I came home, I have ridden all over the district and I can hardly recognise it. I went down to Fetanes to the Rang River assembly fields and what did I find? People coming and going, new booths everywhere, yet ours had fallen into ruin. It's a disgrace. What does it all mean? I, I was going to tell you that. They have instituted a fifth court and new chieftaincies. Herskel Trowensen is now witness priest and people have withdrawn their allegiance from me and given it to him. You see? Is that the way your mighty Christ protects you? Is there anything left of our chieftaincy at all? If I'd known you would have let it fall away so feebly, I would never have entrusted it to you. Father, it's not my fault. The Fifth Court was no idea of mine. Then whose was it? Can't you guess? Yes. Who else? He got the chieftaincy for her school, too. Did he? Mm. Now, listen to me. Our family has suffered quite enough from Njal and from his protégés. First Gunnar, now Herskul Thrawenson. As you have been at pains to remind me, I am an old man, and there is little I can do to put things right. But now, I want you to pay back Njal's family in a way that will drag them to destruction. I'll do what I can, of course, but how am I to do all that? Listen, and I shall tell you how to go about it. Soon after this... Merv rode by Herskold's farm at Ozabaya. God be with you, Merv Valgardzorn. How far do you go? As far as Bergthorskvall. I can think of shorter roads from Hof. I had other business on the way. Tell me, is that the horse Sarpyadin gave you? That's right. He's splendid, don't you think? Splendid. Well. What's the matter with it? Oh, nothing, nothing. He's a very decent colt. Colt? He's four years old. Is that what they told you? I'd call him a colt, and I know the Njalsons do. What are you getting at? They speak freely to me, you know, the Njalsons. That's a colt they've given you, because in private, they consider you too callow and inexpert to manage anything bigger. I don't believe you. As you please. But I don't know how you put up with it. With what? Their contempt. Yep. To put it no stronger. With that, Merv Valgotson rode on to Bergthorskvall. Listen to me, all of you. And I tell you this only because I have your interests at heart. When Herskuld asked you to his feast, he put you all to sleep in an outhouse, didn't he? Mm-hmm. One farthest from the hall, yes? Mm-hmm. One that I'm sure you never noticed, but there were faggots piled up all around it. Mm-hmm. It was only Herkne Gunnarsson's arrival in the middle of the night that prevented Herskuld burning you all to death. But why should he do that? Because he thinks that you despise him. Because he has it firmly fixed in his own mind that that magnificent young stallion you gave him is nothing but a colt, and that you think him too weak to manage a bigger animal. <laughs> but we think nothing of the sort. Oh, Grim, I'm sure you don't, but there's no reasoning with a man in Herskold's state of mind. And so the poisoning began. Though Njal received mirth coldly, his sons would hear no word against him. Not a week went by, but he rode out to Bergthorskvall or Ossobayr. Will kill you if they can. 
They are consumed with jealousy. When I was here the other day, one of your servants told me how, when you rode out east with him over the Markar River, an axe slipped out from under Scapudin's tunic. That was his wood chopper, and I'd already seen him put it there. A chopper is as good as any other weapon when it comes to cracking skulls. Merzval, Gardson, you are an evil man. And as far as I am concerned, you will never say anything against the Njalsons that I am likely to believe. Yes, you may be right, but what of it? As long as they believe me, that'll be enough, and they will. I don't doubt it. What, you consider them more gullible than you, is that it? Far from it. But among the quantity of lies that you have told me, one thing you said of them is true. I'm flattered. What was that? That they are jealous of my chieftaincy. Is that so? They deny it. They do not even realize that it is there. But I have seen it. I have also seen that they are jealous of their father's love for me. So that is why I think you will succeed, Merth Valgardson. In the autumn of that year, Herskeld rode with Hildegun to Svinafell, where Flossie was to hold a feast. He welcomed them both warmly, but when he heard that Herskeld and the Njalsons were by now estranged, he was extremely troubled, and all the more when Herskeld steadfastly refused to seek a reconciliation or move out of the Land Isles. So when the feast was at an end, Hoskuld rode home with Hildegund to Ossabair. He wore a scarlet cloak with lacework down the front, a parting gift from Flossie. The Njalsson scarcely spoke a word to him that winter. Spring came. One fine morning, Herskuld woke up early. He dressed and put on Flossie's gorgeous scarlet cloak. With sword and seed basket, he went out to his cornfield and began to sow. From behind a low fence, the Njalsons, Kauri, and Merval Godson rushed out at him. Don't trouble yourself to run, Huitaness priest. <laughs> May God help me and forgive you all. <laughs> Is he dead? He's certainly not living. We'd better go. We must report the killing. Merv, will you come with us? I, uh, I think not. You will be safer with us than at all. I, I, I have a better idea. I will ride through Great River to the Sigvastons, tell them what's happened, and pretend to be horrified as if I had just heard the news. What scheme is this? Are you trying Wait, wait, to... wait. wait. It, it, it's a very good scheme. They will ask me to initiate proceedings, which I shall do... Against us? Wait a minute. No, patience, Kari. If we do as I suggest and keep up the pretense until the owl think, then we can let it be known that I was one of you and the case against you will be invalidated. Well, if it will work, do it by all means. It will work, but meantime, we must be short with one another when we meet, as if we had fallen out. Good luck to you all! We're going to need luck, certainly. Who will tell father? Would he weep like this for us? Or weep at all. But there is some excuse for him. Father, you're an old man now. It's no wonder you take it all to heart. <laughs> this is a terrible thing you have done. I tell you truly, I would rather have lost two of you, my own sons, to have her skull still alive. We had already guessed as much. It's not been difficult to see of late where your affections lay. 
And what else, pray, did you expect when you prefer Mirth Valgardson to your own kin? You may not like it, Father, <laughs> but Mirth has saved our honour and very possibly our lives your as honor. well. Your lives. Mirth knows nothing about honour. Not his own, not anybody else's, and all you know that. You also know the vicious part he played in Gunnar's death. Yet I have had to watch while he corrupted you with gifts and flattery till you believed him when he slandered your own foster brother. What makes you so sure that they were slanders? Because I knew Herskull. I knew he sent mirth packing when he slandered you. Oh, yes. And as for threatening your lives... But all that troubled you, my sons, was envy. Envy that I had obtained my foster son a chieftaincy. Envy that I married him to Hildegon. No! Herskold was like a brother to us all before... Before Mirth. Father, if what you say is true... It is. It's also true that Herskold said... He would rather suffer death at your hands than do you any harm. At least you were generous enough to grant him that. I... I bitterly regret his killing. Regret is one thing, Helgi. Never to have done the deed another. You killed. Herskull did not, nor ever thought it possible. Now, that is why I loved him. If not the only reason why I weep. What others do you need? You ask me that, Scarpedine. Have you, of all people, forgotten how Herskull's father died and why I fostered him? As long as he was living, as long as I upheld his interests and he was seen to prosper at my hands, there was peace between us and the Sigfusons, but you have ruined that. And much else besides. What else, father? Ask your brother, Helgi. He has prescience. My mind is dark. Indeed. So let me tell you. My life is forfeit. And your mother's. All of yours. And many more. Well, as for my life, anyone is welcome to it now. If he can take it. Father-in-law, what do you foretell for me? You, Kari. You are the only one amongst us who has any luck. So much, indeed, that you will prove a match for all our enemies. It was Hildegun who discovered Herskull's body. She woke from cruel and ominous dreams to find that he had left their bed. He was not around the farm. She dressed and went down to the cornfield. There she found him in his splendid scarlet cloak. With this she wiped up all the blood she could, folded the cloak carefully, took it home and locked it in a chest. At the death of Herskold, the whole district was in a stir and his killing was condemned throughout the land. The Njalsons rode to see Ausgrim Elida Grimson, who was not only Helgi's father-in-law, but also father of that Thorhal whom Njal had fostered and to whom he taught the law. They sought his support and he gave it, but his mind was not easy. 
When Flossie heard the news at Svinafell, he was deeply disturbed and angered, but he kept his composure. He summoned a large following and set out for the Althing. His friends all counseled that he seek a settlement. Finally, he crossed the Markar River and came to Ossabair. Poor child. It is only right that you should weep over a good husband. I tell you I would give all that I possess for this never to have happened. The seeds of evil have been sown and evil will be the harvest. What redress will you get me, uncle? I shall press your claims to the full extent of the law unless I can conclude a settlement which in the eyes of all good men will satisfy every demand of honour. A settlement? Herskold would have avenged you with blood if he were in your place now. Our kinsmen have killed for injuries far, far less than this. I know that. But as things stand, revenge is what will turn out worse for all of us. What are you doing? Hildegard, listen to me. Do you recognise this cloak? It is the one I gave to Herskold. I give it back to you. Wear it! What is this? Blood. His blood. Girl, you are a monster. I call upon God and all you good men to witness that I charge you in the name of all the powers of your Christ and in the name of your courage and your manhood to avenge every one of the wounds that marked his body or to be an object of contempt to all men. Soon after this, Flossie rode on to the Althink. A little later, the Njalsons and their supporters arrived and manned their booth. They quickly learned that feeling ran against them and, advised by Ausgrim, immediately set out to find support against their accusers. But none would promise it. Not Scuffy Thoradson, not half the wealthy. While even those who were inclined to, men like Gudmund the Powerful, changed their minds when they saw Scarp Hedin, haggard, haunted, truculent, whose ill luck loomed behind him like a ghost. Next day the action came before the Althink, but Merv had now let slip the news of his involvement in the death of Herskult, which worked exactly as he had predicted. Thorhald Ausgrimson, Jarl's foster son, and grown to be as skilled a lawyer as his foster father, at once stood up to claim invalidation of the prosecution's case. There's only one way now. No! No! Stay where you are! I appeal to you, Flossie, and you, Sigfusons, and all our own men. Hear me out! We have reached deadlock and are on the verge of bloodshed. It is not surprising, seeing how all this has grown from an evil seed. But now... I want you all to know that I loved Herskull more dearly than my own sons. And when I learned that he had been killed, it was as if the sweetest light of my eyes had been extinguished. And I cannot bear that such sorrow should lead to war and greater sorrow still. 
So now, I beg you, give me a chance to make a settlement over this killing on my son's behalf. It is my desire that the matter go to arbitration by those best fitted to decide upon it. They granted his desire. Hal of Sitha, Flossie's father-in-law, prevailed upon him, and each party named its arbitrators. They awarded treble compensation, 600 silver ounces, the whole sum to be paid up at the Althink. With difficulty, this huge amount was raised and paid into the court. Njal fetched his sons, while Hal went off to summon Flossie. Listen, all of you. Our troubles have found a happy solution. We have been reconciled with Flossie. All the money is here, and to it I have added these boots and this fine scarlet cloak. When Flossie and the Sigvusons arrive, we shall pledge peace and good faith each side to the other. Escapiedine, Grim, Helgi, Kauri too. I want to ask you now not to spoil all this in any way. <laughs> what do you find to laugh at, Skapjedin? They are coming now. So, we are here. Now, this is indeed a great sum of money, and handsomely paid as was to be expected. Who gave this? This garment. Who gave it? Does none of you here really know who gave a cloak of scarlet silk? <coughs> who do you think gave it? I suppose it was your father, but whose was the idea? What's wrong with it? Scarlet silk. You must imagine it's a woman's. Aye, it could be that as well. I was one to know, just like its giver. Who can tell by looking at old Beardless which he is, man or woman? He is man enough to have fathered sons, and we have let few wrongs lie unavenged. You do ill to mock him in his old age. Here. If you do not like the cloak, take these instead. You probably have greater need of them. What are they? Trousers? Blue trousers? Why should I need trousers? To save you from the Svenafell troll. What's that? Everybody knows you are his mistress and he uses you as a woman every ninth night. By the body of Christ! I've had enough! <laughs> Keep your money! I'll not touch a penny of it! We'll have blood vengeance now or we'll have nothing! With that, Flossie strode back to his booth and called a meeting of his supporters in the Almana Gorge that runs behind the Law Rock. There they swore that they, before the winter came, would attack the Njalsons with fire and the sword and not withdraw till all of them were dead. Bergthorskvoll in summertime, an island lapped by a sea of green grass stretching out on every side. South to the shore, east to A of Yala, west to the Thjors River, north to Three Hirning that rises like a jagged axe into the sky. The endless days of summer glide away in sun and cloud and showers. Time pretends to be eternity, but there are portents. In Thjors Riverdale, a young man sees the witch ride. One day at Bergthorskvoll, 
Bergthaura's foster mother, Sayun, old and second-sighted, takes up a cudgel and runs out of the house. What's the chick we done to you, grandmother? Why are you beating it? Kindling! Kindling! Take it away! Throw it in the stream! Burn it before it burns you! Do as I say, boy! Leave it, Granny! <laughs> If that's how it's to be, they'll find something else to finish Burn it, I tell you. Burn it! Burn it! Burn it! Eight weeks before the start of winter, on a Sunday morning, Flossie had mass said and gave instructions for the household in his absence. Then, with many who had pledged themselves to him, he rode west from Sfinafell, reaching Threhernink late upon the second day. All but one of his remaining followers joined him there. Some beggar women saw them passing by and bore the news to Grim and Helgi at Halar, where their children were fostered. They made for home at once, arriving just before the evening meal was at an end. I tell you, this is the last meal I shall serve to my household. Mother, don't say what you don't know. I knew that you and Helgi would come home tonight. In the same way, I know this. Eat. How strange. I seem to see this whole room in front of me, and both the gable ends are down, and there is blood all over the table and the food. Oh. Quiet! Quiet, all of you, none of this. Our behaviour will be judged by stricter standards than others. And that is how it should be. Friends, none of us should go to bed tonight. When Flossie and his men reached Bergthorskvall, they waited for a long time in the Berjones Galley. Then, tethering their horses, walked toward the house. They found Jarl, his sons and all the other men drawn up outside. Well, Ketil, how many are they? I make it 29 or 30. Uh, we shall have a hard time if they choose to stay there. What else can they do? But this would turn out a sorry enterprise if we didn't dare attack. Oh, <laughs> we shall attack one way or another, never fear. Well, Scarpiedin, how many do you think they are? I can't be certain. But they're strong and tightly knit, that's sure enough. Although I think they do not like the look of us. I want everyone to go indoors. What? Indoors? Father, no! Yes, I say. But why? We shall be safer. We shall be trapped. Shall we? Gunnar held them off inside the house at Lidderendi, and he was all alone. If he could do that, how much more... Father, Gunnar's situation was completely different. When Morth suggested burning him, Thorgeir wouldn't hear of it. But these people won't hesitate to burn us if they can't destroy us any other way. Because if we escape, it will cost them their lives. Then maybe it is better we should not. Not escape? Father, I tell you, I for one have no wish to suffocate like a fox in its den. What is it? What's the matter? Father wants us all to go indoors, and I'm saying that's the way to suicide. Is this true? Quite true. Listen to me. We are doomed men. There is no more we can do. Then let us do as our father wishes. That will be best for all of us. Let's go in. 
Oh, well, I don't mind pleasing my father by burning with him. I am not afraid to die. Kauri, will you stay with us? Of course. Unless fate wills it otherwise. If it does, then avenge us. And we will do the same for you if we survive. Count on me. They've gone inside. Now they're doomed. Ah! All of you! Form up round the door! Ah! They did as Flossie ordered them. But Cowrie and the Njalsons made a sortie, killing one of them and wounding several more. Chetil, we're getting nowhere. We might do better if some of those who pledged themselves would show a little fight. What do you suggest? I don't know. I'll tell you what I think. Either we abandon the attack, which will cost us our reputations and our lives, or we must set fire to the house and burn them to death. Flossie, no! How can we do that? It is a grave responsibility before God, I know, since we are Christian men, but that is what we must do. So they lit fires before the doors, but the women came out with pails of whey and doused them. Then they tore their way into the loft above the hall, brought in the dry chickweed, which still lay where old Syoon had beaten it, and put a torch to it. Be of good heart, all of you. Don't be afraid. This is nothing but a passing storm. It will be long before there is another like it. Put your trust in God, for he will not let us burn in this world and the next. Flossie! Flossie! Are you near enough to hear me? Would you still consider an agreement with my sons? Then will you let any of our people leave the house? The women, children and servants may come out if they wish. Do you hear that? All of you. The women, children and servants, you may leave. Hurry now. Kauri, give your son to Helga. Thor, go to your mother. No, no, I don't want to. Yes, child, you are to be taken out. You are not to burn. But, Grandmam, you promised. You too, Grandfather, you promised I should never leave you. My darling, we are going to die. I'm not afraid. I won't stay. I'd rather die with you. Kari, you take him. Come, my son. Come now. Thorhalla, Helgi, what's this, this pantomime? Father, leave. I'm going outside with the women. When I pass for one, it may serve. If I escape... I'll avenge you all. Well, God go with you. Farewell. Farewell. Thorhalla, pull the scarf tight around my face. Cover my beard. Yes, come on. John, you hear me? I hear? What is it? You come out as well. No, Flossie. I shall stay where I am. I'm too old. I'm no further use in this life. Then you, Thorhalla, you come out. No! I thank you! I was given to Njal in marriage. I promised him then that we would share the same fate. I shall keep that promise. As you wish. Steward. Sir? Is everybody gone? Yes, sir. That's no woman! Seize him! 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 
Scarpiedine! Yes. Tell me what has happened to your brother. Flossie has cut off his head. Oh, God rest him. Grandfather. Thor, I said you were to go. Please. Kari, your son is still here. He will not go. I will not force him. So be it. Bergthora, go to our bed closet and take Thorth with you. I will come presently. Steward, we have a new ox hide somewhere. In the second store. Then fetch it. Lay it over us, my wife, my grandson, and myself. Take note of where we are. Then you will know where to look for us when this thing is over. Njal, with your permission, I should like to stay. My orders are that you are to leave with the others. Now, bring the hide. Rekthora, Thorth, are you both there? Yes. Yes, Grandfather. Lie down between us, child. I see Father's going to bed early. But there, he's an old man. Oh, God. Into thy hands we commit our spirits. In this, the hour of our death, do thou have mercy on us. Amen. Scarpiedine! Scarpiedine, are you hurt? No, it didn't touch me! Then listen, we can use that great beam to escape. It's almost burnt through. It'll hold us. Go on, run, and I'll come after you. You go first. I'll be on your heels. Go! All right. And when you get out, turn into the smoke. Uh, I'll run toward the stream and wait for you. Good luck to you, Carrie Solmunderson. Avenge us all! You both do that! Carrie took a blazing brand and ran up the sloping, smoking beam. His clothes and hair caught fire, but he hurled the brand among the people waiting, and they scattered. He leapt down off the wall and disappeared into the smoke. No one saw him go. He reached the stream, put out his burning clothes, then ran on till he found a hollow where he rested. Scarpiadine made to follow him. Michael, fight for me now, or take my soul! The angel heard his second prayer, for when he reached the middle of the beam, it gave way under him. He fell back, scrambled to his feet, then groped his way along the wall until he found his brother, Green. They tried to stamp the flames out, but they were too fierce, and in the middle of the room, Green dropped down dead. Then all the roof fell in, and Skarpiedin his axe still in his hand, was pinned against the gable end. Outside the house, Flossie and his men waited until full daylight. The flames died down, the smoke thinned, and as they sat and watched, a horseman came toward them. Good day to you. And to you? What is your name? I'm Germund. I am kin to the Sigwasons. Ah. You have taken drastic action here. People will say so. They will call it evil too. But nothing can be done about it now. Who has died in the house? 
Njal Thorgerson, his wife Beg Thora, all the Njalsons, Skarpjadin, Helgi Grim, Kauri Solmundason and his son Thorf, as well as others we do not yet know of. Then I must tell you, one of those you list among the dead is to my certain knowledge still alive. Who is that? Kauri Solmundason. I spoke with him at dawn. His hair was badly burnt, so were his clothes, but he himself was more or less unscathed. Where is he now? My neighbor lent him a horse and he rode north. Uh, was he armed? He had a sword. He called it Life Taker. Its edge was all blue from the fire and soft, but he said he would soon harden it in the blood of the burners. <sighs> then there is little hope that we shall ever be left in peace. No doubt Kauri is already gathering a force against us. It is my suggestion that we ride away from here as soon as possible. They rode to Svinafell where Flossie lodged them all. He was never heard to boast of what they had done, and he never showed the slightest trace of fear. Winter came. Soon after Christmas, Flossie set out to seek support among the northerners and in the east fjords. He had been plagued by terrifying dreams in which a fearful apparition summoned many of his followers by name. As for Kauri, sleep had utterly forsaken him. The burning never left his memory. One day, with some companions, he rode to visit Mirth Valgardson at Hof, reminded him in forceful terms of his despicable behavior and forced him to initiate a case against the Burners. So Merv took on the action against Flossie at the Althink of the summer following Jarl's death, and people were surprised to see how he, with Thorhall Ausgrimson as his advisor, displayed so much resourcefulness and energy. But then, from start to finish, this was an Althink never to be forgotten. Flossie could find no one to defend him. At last, however, Eolf Berlverkson agreed to speak in his defense, but only after a substantial golden bracelet had changed hands. Before the court, the fortunes of the case went one way, then the other, with Eolf using every stratagem he knew to undermine the prosecution. But every time he did so, Thorhall Ausgrimson, although a fearful inflammation of the leg confined him to his bed, sent Merb instructions how to turn it upside down. The prosecution against Flossie seemed secure, but then Merth Valgardson, led into it by wily Eolf, committed a disastrous blunder. The action against Flossie was dismissed, the prosecution threatened with outlawry. Kaurib, what now? Has my son no solution? Indeed he has. Thorol has come into the court. But he could hardly walk. He launched his own leg with a spear and then killed one of Flossie's people with it. What? I'll scream it would be a disgrace if it fell to a lame lawyer to avenge the burning. Never. We shall attack them at once. So began the battle at the Althing. Before it ended, before the two sides could be separated, Flossie had been wounded and his forces were in full retreat. Among the many dead they laid out in the church was Eolf Bulvekson, with Kauri's spear right through him, the great gold bracelet he had had from Flossie, 
glowing on his bloody wrist. And yet a settlement was reached and compensation paid for all who died at Bergthorskvall. With one exception, Kauri's son. Kauri Salmundason, is it to be understood by the court that you seek no settlement in respect of your son? It is. I will settle things in my own way, and with the aid of Njal's kinsman, Thorge Skorager. The court cannot compel you. Now, can Flossie and the other burners hear me? We can hear. Then know this. It is also the sentence of this court that you go into exile on pain of outlawry. If you do not leave Iceland within three years, Flossie, you may not return within another three. And that applies to the remainder of you, with these four exceptions. Grani Gunnarsson, Gunnar Lampersson, Gloom Hildesson, Kohl Forsteinsson, are never to return at all. <clears throat> the Althink ended. Everyone rode home and filled the winter nights for years to come with tales of what had happened there. Only the Burners did not dare ride home, but once again followed Flossie east to Svinafell, stopping briefly, fearfully, to give instructions at their farms, then hurrying on again. The wolves were after them, and they, who were themselves once wolves, now huddled like a flock of nervous sheep. Relentlessly, alone or with companions, Cowrie hunted them. Five fell at Kerlinkadale. Five more at the Scarfed River. Now Flossie and the Burners sailed abroad, and Cowrie very soon went after them. In Orkney he found Gunnar Lampasson. It was Christmas Day, and he was standing in Earl Sigurd's hall bragging of the burning. His story was not destined to reach its end. Another fifteen of the Burners fell in battle, fighting against the Irish High King, Brian Baruma, at Clontarf. At least it spared them Cowrie's vengeance. Of all the burners, Cole Thorsteinson alone now remained with Flossie. He met his death when Cowrie found him buying silver in a town in Wales. He sent a message to his one remaining enemy. My lord... He said to let you know that Cowrie Solmundesen has killed Kohl Thorsteinsen. His words were, I give notice that I am responsible for this killing. I am obliged to you. Have Kohl's body properly laid out. I will give you money for his burial. Are we not to seek his killer, my lord? No. There are few men to equal Cowrie Solmundesen. He is the man of all the world whom I would most like to resemble in character. Soon after this, Flossie sailed across the Channel and, landing on the Norman coast, set out on foot for Rome. There he was received in audience by the Pope and accorded absolution at his hands in recognition of a large sum of money. He travelled north again and was received with honour everywhere. At last, the three years of his exile being spent, he sailed again for Iceland. Making land at Hornafjord, he rode home west to Svinafell.
and Cowrie. He too walked from Normandy to Rome. He too was absolved and then returned to Iceland. A hard voyage he and his companions had of it. For it was already autumn and their ship was smashed to pieces in a storm. But they came safe ashore at Ingolshead and walked from there through driving snow the little way to Svinafell. Who is there? Flozi. Kauri Salmundason. Come in, man. Come in, all of you. Kauri, sit here, warm yourself. Steward, mouth and ale, bring dry clothes. Well, Flozi, I heard you had been in Rome when I was there. I... Oh. My heart is suddenly too full to speak. We are men who have been through a great storm, as you see. No, I, I meant... I, I know what you meant. The storm of our own making. It was our fate. Fate is our own making. It is what we are. Oh, yes. But you and I have come through. This time and this fire, the evil seed has shriveled. Shriveled? But not die. It never dies. We must remember that. Here. Take my hand. You'll stay the winter, won't you? Steward, where's the ale? Cowrie stayed. He soon learned that his wife, Helga, Jarl's daughter, had died during his absence, leaving him with three daughters to bring up. Flossi gave him in marriage his niece, the lovely Hildigun, widow of Herskult Wheatoness Priest, whom he and Skarpiedin and Green and Helge had done to death. By her he had three sons, and the eldest he named Flossi. This is how men say Flossi Thordason died. When he was an old man, he went abroad to fetch himself some house timber. He spent the winter in Norway, and next summer he was late in getting ready to sail. People warned him that his ship was not seaworthy, but Flossi replied, that it was good enough for a doomed old man. He boarded the ship and sailed out to sea. Nothing was ever heard of that ship again. And there we end the saga of the burning of Njal. In The Burning, the final part of David Wade's dramatization of Njal's saga, Bernard Hepton was Njal and Robert Glenister Skarpjedin. Crawford Logan was Flossie Thordarsson, Alan Barker, Ausgrim Elida Grimson, 
Sean Prendergast, Murg of Hof, Jimmy Yule, Cowrie Solmundarsson, and Maureen O'Brien, Halgert Longlegs. Herskuld Thrawinson was played by Jonathan Taffler, Hildegun by Victoria Carling, Thrawin Sigfusson by John Church, Valgarth by John Moffat, Helgi and Grim Njalsson by Vincent Brimble and Andrew Branch, and Young Thorth by Sam Bennett. Other parts were played by John Bull, Paul Downing, Joe Dunlop, Donald G, David King, Brian Miller, Simon Linnell, Danny Schiller and Ian Target. The narrators were Norman Rodway and Barbara Jefford. The Tree of Strife was adapted from a translation by Magnus Magnusson and Hermann Paulsen. The music was by David Chilton and Nick Russell Pavier. And technical presentation was by Peter Novis, Sarah Rosewarne, Anne Bunting and Keith Graham. The director was Jeremy Mortimer. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.